This year, the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club is holding its second major club event, titled The Annual. The first annual was held in Fishkill, New York, during the Labor Day weekend of 2019, and was one of those legendary collector's events that showcased the potential and creativity of a regional Star Wars club. Friday night kicked off the weekend with a meet-and-greet in Fishkill's Comfort Suites Hotel Ballroom. And on Saturday, 80 collectors from New York and beyond traveled to one of the largest flea markets in the country. And that afternoon, they returned to the ballroom for a seven-hour event that included collector panels and dinner, and was followed by room sales and a late-night trip to the local diner. This is part two of a series titled, A Look Back at the Annual 2019. This is a recap of the Saturday and Sunday of that unforgettable collector's weekend in Fishkill, New York. This is a celebration of what we collect and why we connect. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Saturday, August 31st. At 3 o'clock that afternoon, the ballroom doors opened to 80 collectors who descended upon the Fishkill region and were staying at the Comfort Suites for the weekend. Chris and Steph Riley, two of the creative minds behind the event, checked attendees' badges as they filed through the doors and into the ballroom. The room was so much different from the previous night. Tables covered with black tablecloths and annual signs filled the majority of the room. Large banners displaying the iconic Darth Vader image from the 1983 Marvel Comics annual cover adorned the walls. At the front of the room was a dais, complete with chairs and microphones for the collector panels. And overhead, a mounted projector cast the event's logo onto the wall behind the table. As they entered, a number of collectors headed to the bar at the back of the room. Others grabbed their friends and selected the tables at which they would sit. The atmosphere for the first hour was relaxed as attendees talked over drinks and moved throughout the room. Here's Tom Quinn, co-founder of the Empire State Club, to give us a quick idea of the event's itinerary. All right, for those, those of you that are out there... Four o'clock, we're going to start a live podcast of David Quinn's prototypes. 
And then after that, Jonathan McQuill-Wayne will be doing a talk on food premiums. We're going to have a dinner together tonight. We're going to have Duncan Jenkins doing a talk and Matt George from Texas talking about his Engineering Empire book. So I just wanted to give you guys a look at what we're dealing with right now. We just opened the doors about 10 minutes ago. I'll talk to you guys later. At 4 o'clock, Ron addressed the crowd as they took their seats. The annual was about to begin. Uh, all right, everybody. Uh, hope you, hopefully you can hear me. Uh, some people said last time that they had a hard time hearing at the back of the room. Uh, it's about 4 o'clock now, so as according to our schedule here, I have Dave Quinn uh, with his podcast, Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Uh, so it's a great podcast. You should check it out if you ever get a chance. Dave's a valued member of the Empire State Collectors Club, so I thought it would be a great opportunity for him to host a podcast when we have this event. We have some seats up here if anybody wants to sit here and, and listen in on this. Uh, it will last about 45 minutes. Uh, no problem if people are chattering in the background, but please try to keep the noise level down so everybody can hear what's going on. Uh, the, the topic of the podcast was Dave's idea, and I'm really happy he had this idea. He's basically going to have uh, the topic on the, of the podcast will be the history of the, the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club from, I guess, conception until currently where we're hosting this annual event. So uh, I'd like to thank David for doing this, and I'm looking forward to hearing it. But with that, I will turn it over to him, and uh, thanks for your attention. I approach my seat at the dais. Any nerves I'd normally experience when delivering something like this were replaced by a feeling of excitement. I knew what was in store for our friends and fellow collectors in this presentation. I knew who would be joining me during the panel, and I knew the topics they would be discussing as a group. Have you ever had a present for someone during the holidays and you couldn't wait for them to open it? You knew it was special. You knew they would love it. That's what this panel had been for me. I had worked on it in the weeks leading up to the event. It told the history of the club that Jason Thomas and Tom Quinn had started seven years earlier. They believed that if they created a space in which collectors from the New York region could assemble, people would show up. And after seeing the creative and impactful results of this club for years, it was time to turn around and celebrate the path that brought all of us to Fishkill for the annual. Okay, tell me if you've heard this old story before. It happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Two would-be heroes who don't see themselves as heroes happened to meet by chance. But we now know it was not by chance. They bonded over a galactic connection. They speak the same language, and together, they are blessed with purpose. Through the mysterious force that seems to guide them, they answer its call, having no idea where it will lead them. But it certainly leads them. And over the course of each scene and each act that follows, their story unfolds to be farther reaching than either of them could ever imagine. And they realize they can do more together than they could by themselves. But their destiny is not a singular one. There are others just like them in surrounding regions with similar ideas and a yearning for adventure, knowledge, and a connection. And as a result, these rebels of goodness pick up a varied band of characters along the way. Some are smugglers, some are patrons from the local cantinas, some are technicians, some are moisture farmers, and some help to run cities with ambitions that reach the clouds. 
And some have unique and incredible abilities that will only be unlocked during a years-long journey. But they're never doing it alone. Together, they travel to places far beyond their homes, taking part in exploits beyond their planetary dreams, to previously unexplored areas and finding friendships that are anchored in trust and in love. And they grow in confidence, in mastery of their gifts, and in the Force. And as a group, a team of brothers and sisters, and with help from creatures great and small from a wide range of regions, they make a name for themselves that rings throughout the galaxy. And that name symbolizes one thing, the greatness that comes from a new hope. And then, amid the yub-nub of celebration and sitting among the warmth of friends, each rebel-turned-hero looks at those sitting next to them and across from them. They reflect on how they wound up here through a series of chance encounters and realize they've come too far for it to be merely a series of chance encounters. They think back to the day in which they said yes to their first adventure and how much they've grown since then. Some have become leaders, some have become masters of the unique gifts they were granted, and each has found a new purpose in life. And in that moment, they realize this group to whom they belong is no longer just a group. It has become a family, ready to welcome the next rebel, and the one after that, and the one after that. While we are living in the era of Skywalker, this is more than just another Star Wars story. It is a celebration of the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club, the wonderful people who formed it, and all who make it a meaningful, special community. This is a thank you to every single one of you here and here in spirit. This is the time to look back on how each of us got here, why we're members, why we're growing, and why we all keep coming back year after year. This is, after all, the annual. And this is Star Wars, Prototypes and Production, live from Fishkill, New York. <laughs> Looking back on it now, I think the panel was a great way to kick off the event. And it had nothing to do with anything I did, but was a testament to the members who volunteered to share their stories that afternoon. People from other states and other countries attended the annual. And for them, this may have been the first time they heard the history of the club. And those who spoke during that hour introduced themselves to an audience that might not have known them very well prior to the panel. When they spoke, they presented themselves honestly and passionately. And they all shared what seemed to be a common thread. The anxiety of attending their first Empire State meetup and wondering how they would be received. But another common thread was the connection they felt from those around them, and how their lives quickly changed by the members of the Empire State Club. The panel spoke to the heart of every attendee, because we're all Empire State Club members. It doesn't matter what you collect, where you live, or how long you've been in this club. What matters is that at some point, you decided to become a part of this Northeast group and to get to know those who share a passion for Star Wars and the collectibles. The panels were spread out over the course of the next few hours, giving attendees opportunities to spend time and to dine together. 
After a break, Matt George presented a panel on the collector's book he wrote with Stephen Ward and Gary Borbidge. The book, titled Engineering an Empire, the creators of Kenner's Star Wars toys, highlighted the men and women who worked on the line, as well as the incredible pre-production Star Wars pieces and surviving artifacts that provided a visual history to their biographies. And in his panel, Matt shared some of the -the behind-the-scenes stories and some of the conversations he had with the Kenner employees and creatives. Matt's panel was a wonderful complement to the book. Engineering and Empire put faces to the Kenner creators and designers, and it highlighted both their personal and professional accomplishments in ways that few, if any, resources have ever done. One of the employees Matt mentioned during his panel was Cindy Cunningham. Cindy sculpted the Reese figure for the Return of the Jedi line and Walrus Man for the Star Wars line. Matt shared with us that she kept a calendar record book that detailed the sculpting work she did each day. He said she did this so that if she were ever questioned by her supervisors, she could provide evidence of what she worked on and when she worked on it. And that calendar book gave collectors a look into the daily life of a sculptor. Matt finished his panel with a Q&A session. Around 6 o'clock, dinner was served in the ballroom. Following dinner was a panel that explored the collection of Jonathan McElwain. For decades, Jonathan has focused on the licensed and unlicensed food premiums bearing the logos and characters of the Star Wars franchise. I had been looking forward to Jonathan's panel. While I knew a little about his collection, I had never seen more than a few close-up photos of some of the pieces in it. CNBC had interviewed Jonathan about his food packaging hunt in 2017. And although he has one of the best food premium collections in the world, he noted in the article that the true reward were the friendships made along the journey. Here's Jonathan looking back on his 2019 panel and what he's planning for the second annual. At the annual itself, um, you know, I had the uh, honor to be asked by Ron to give a presentation. Um, you know, I've always, uh, you know, admired Ron for his writing, his speaking, and, and just sort of his inclusive attitude towards collectors, myself included uh, among them. Um, so um, he'd asked me to speak, and I gave sort of a personal tour through my collection. I'm sort of a veteran, I suppose, at, at giving talks at the various celebration events, but those are always sort of focused on an aspect of, of collecting, a, 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 an area of collecting. Um, but this one was sort of a tour uh, of my, uh, my collection and sort of the things that I'm interested in and, and some stories from uh, some, some nostalgic reflections and, and some, some collecting stories that, that I had. So that was a, you know, a fun, very sort of different uh, kind of talk to put together. And I suppose it's not a spoiler at this point um, that, um, you know, uh, Ron did ask me to come back uh, at the annual and give another talk. This time I'll be doing one with Yehuda. It won't be a tour of my collection. Um, it'll be a talk uh, about mail-in collectibles. Um, so um, hopefully that's a, a fun talk. I think it's an area that hasn't uh, had much uh, coverage in sort of a broad way. So that should be fun. But I'll definitely be at the this annual. Um, really looking forward to it and hope to have the same kind of uh, experiences as the last one. Uh, it's an 
a great area up there, great group of collectors, and, um, you know, really looking forward to it. The annual weekend was also the weekend of Fonz Napolitano's birthday. So the club surprised him with a cake and sang happy birthday to him. We'll be back with Duncan's presentation in a little while. Thanks. For the final panel, Duncan Jenkins presented a tour through his storied collection. Titled The Sithsonian, the collection covers more than 40 years of all types of Star Wars collectibles, housed in a 5,000-square-foot museum. Duncan is the author of a number of essential and informative Star Wars resources, including Gus and Duncan's Guide to Star Wars Collectibles, Gus and Duncan's Guide to Star Wars Cast and Crew Items, and my personal favorite, Gus and Duncan's Guide to Star Wars Prototypes. He is also the Vice Chairman on the Board of Directors at the Rancho Obi-Wan Museum. If you've never heard Duncan present at a convention or meetup, you're truly missing out. He has a dry, quick sense of humor that makes listening to him really fun in a panel like this, because you never know what he's going to add or sneak into an explanation. He is a very serious, dedicated collector, but doesn't take himself seriously. There are few, if any, collections out there that rival Duncan Sisonian, and hearing about it from the one who put it together is something that only an event like the annual can offer. After the panel and dinner portion of the annual ended at 10 o'clock, the chairs were removed from the section of the room where the panels were held to make space for the upcoming room sales. Ron approached the microphone and asked if everyone would come up to the now-cleared section to take a group photo. Those who were seated around the tables joined those who were already standing, and clusters of attendees slowly made their way toward the front of the room. The lights above the projector and the large pull-down screen were turned on, and with the rows of chairs no longer there, it made the space feel like a completely different area. The wavy spaghetti-like yellow lines in the carpet seemed to ebb and flow against a brown background, and this optical illusion became more pronounced with the lights. Chris Porteous, who became the annual's unofficial photographer that weekend, stood on a chair in front of the group facing all of us as we sought to find our place alongside one another. Looking through the viewfinder of his camera, which was mounted on a high-angled tripod, he directed all of us, positioning some on the right to move in closer and asking some in the back to step to the right or left in order to ensure their faces were seen. I remember the noise and the laughter, the buzz, as each person each piece in a large puzzle connected to form that picture. Ron and Mike Cooper sat on the floor in the front, and Ron threw his right arm around Mike, pulling him closer as Mike gave a thumbs up. 
Behind them was a row of people who had knelt or squatted down, including myself. Sky Payne and his wife Marjana perched next to Aaron Longbine. I grabbed a spot next to Pete LaRose and Gordy Owen in the center of the row. On the left side, Justin Haney and his wife Jen knelt in front of Jason Thomas, Chris Riley, and Mike Ritter, who were standing and holding one of the annual banners, while Sandra Emery leaned against Justin, resting her arms on his back and smiling. Behind our row were three or four rows of people standing. Chris Jorgulius and his wife Sharon jutted out on the left side, next to Sandra and Mike Mensinger. And Yehuda Kleinman and Jonathan McElwain lined up on the right edge. Corey Bailey and Lauren Starkiller stood next to one another in the center, both wearing the same orange and blue Ahsoka Tano-themed shirts. Some of the taller collectors like Tom Derby, Ed Nagy, Tyler Fedigan, Bob Alls, Eric Janicki, and Joe O'Neill stood in the back. In total, about 80 of us gathered for that group photo. Chris Porteous made a few last-minute adjustments to the positioning of the camera and our group and set the timer. Once he explained to all of us how it would work, he announced he was pressing the button to take the shot and then jumped off the chair and ran toward us, where he sat in front of me, turning around just in time for the shutter to snap. I don't think many of us really thought about what that photo represented at the time we posed for it. There was a feeling that we were part of something special, something organic in that Saturday event. But the measure of its importance to many of us who had made the trip to Fishkill would only begin to show itself after the weekend had ended. But there we were, almost 80 people, all facing the same direction at the same time, and smiling. The joy is contagious. When people pose in a group shot for a photo, most usually smile, but there's a difference between smiling for the camera and smiling out of joy and contentment. And looking back on the moment and seeing my fellow friends and collectors smiling, I know the reaction was the latter for many of them. And it's subtle, but we as humans can sense it, even in a photo. It was the happiness of being firmly in the moment, because we were only halfway through the entire weekend. And we knew that we not only had more to come, but that we had an entire night ahead of us as well. After the group photo, Chris and Steph Riley, along with Jason, Yehuda, and Ron, moved to the back of the room, to the left of the bar. Chris went into an adjacent storage room and pulled out boxes, laying them out on the floor in front of him. Ron asked everyone to stop by that corner of the room to pick up a special souvenir from the event. The group who planned the annual had commissioned sculptor Paul Harding to create a six-and-a-half-inch-tall cadet stormtrooper statue. Sitting on a small, square platform that was itself an inch high, the bronze-painted statue was dressed in a military uniform, standing at attention with its arms at its sides, and wore a stormtrooper's helmet. The statue came in a white box that had its image and the Empire State Club logo in a blue dye-line design which was outlined in a black rectangle. Above the figure's head were the words Cadet Trooper, 
and a small black rectangle with the annual 2019 by its feet. On the back of the box, large logos for the club and the event filled most of the space. It was such a thoughtful gift, and the perfect representation of the weekend. The Stormtrooper helmet represented the weekend's theme of Star Wars and collecting, and the military uniform represented the location of the event. The interior flap of the box contained the following text. The Cadet Trooper was chosen as the annual's primary giveaway due to the event's proximity to the United States Military Academy, located at West Point, New York. Founded in 1802 at the direction of then-President Thomas Jefferson, West Point trains and commissions officers for the United States Army. The Cadet Trooper is depicted wearing the gray over white parade uniform of the West Point Cadet, consisting of a gray coat over white trousers. The crimson sash around the figure's waist is an indicator of first class or senior status. As a thank you to the group of attendees who had donated funds to help sponsor the annual, a special version of the statue had been created. The annual team handed these out to sponsors as well. As I walked up to the line to receive mine, I was amazed at how much thought and care went into the creation of these gifts. The statue itself was identical to the bronze one, except this one was completely painted, with its gray over white parade uniform and crimson sash, and bore a gold plaque on the front of the base that read Sponsor. What made these sponsor gifts even more special was the fact that each one was painstakingly hand-painted by our dear friend Bob Alls. Bob is a member of the Empire State Club and is one of the most talented artists I know. Here's Bob to share a little insight on what it was like to decorate these trooper cadets. Well, like a few months before the annual was getting ready to take place, I got contacted by Ron Salvador and Chris Riley and said, hey, remember when you painted all those chess shoes for Chicago celebration? I was like, uh-huh. And I'm still traumatized by that, um, seeing them in my dreams after painting 125 of them. They said, well, we got another project for you, but it's not as big as a scope as a, those Cheshire cats. I'm like, all right, cool. So they sent me one. It was, you know, the cadet trooper. And I just sat there for like hours just staring at the sculpt. I'm like, this is just perfect. And then I, you know, spent a much more time trying to find the correct paints and uh, right brushes and all that. Because uh, I really wanted it to be flushed out. Like really, like a soldier is very crisp, very professional and all that. But with this, I had to kind of like refine myself a little bit, you know, like my approach and take a much more practiced hand to get to the detailing and make it look sharp and crisp, like they're actually being recruited by the Imperial Army or a representative of the United States Army. And I wanted something to everyone to be proud of i didn't want to you know have things be handed out and be like yeah that guy did it over there he's hiding in the corner and they start throwing like you know the statues at me <laughs> so fast forward they finally sent me you know the full batch i think it was around 30 i don't remember the number offhand it was about 30 and um I remember like testing out like the first set of paints. I put a primer on it and I was getting the paints down. But 
for some reason, I, the paints I had bought have almost like a chemical reaction to the primer, and it just melted all off. And that was like 10 statues in. And I just looked at it because I, I put them in my garage to dry, and they had the fan blowing on it just to let them dry. I go in maybe about four hours later, and they're back in their original state. I'm like, <sighs> so then I went online, like, why is this happening? And, of course, that particular brand did not play well with certain primers. So after a few beers, I reset myself <laughs> and purchased a different set of like hobby paints and went back to work. Unfortunately, that delayed my uh, time looks. I had to redo those 10. But once I got it down, I started cranking them, not cranking them out really, but um, like just for a scope's sake, I was able to get like the, the Cheshires, I was able to do two in an hour. Because, you know, you get like a system, okay, you paint the eyes, paint the eyes, paint the whatever. But with the soldiers, they were taking upwards like one to two, one soldier for two hours. And I remember getting like close to the run, you know, run and Chris are texting me like, how's it going? How's it going? Are you ready? Are you ready? They were hoping to get these things in about a week before the, the, the annual so they could put like the sponsor sticker on them, put them in the boxes, wrap them up all nice. I said, I'm not going to be able to get them done by then. Um, I'm like staying up till two o'clock in the morning, painting these things. And um, I remember just blasting like death metal <laughs> by the end of the run. Like I need something aggressive to push me. <laughs> so I had like cannibal corpse playing while I was painting these things up. So I finally finish, and it's actually tomorrow is the annual, and we're driving up. And I text them. I said, I'm going to be driving them up with them. They're in my car. Uh, they're, they're cushioned better than I put my son in the car. And we drive up, and like as I'm leaving the door, I, wait, I have a feeling like these things are going to want to unwrap them and all that. I'm going to take them out, and they're going to be chipped. So I run downstairs, I grab the paints and the paintbrushes, and I run back upstairs. My wife, is, who's coming with me, is just shaking her head. She's like, are you seriously going to paint them when you're up there? I'm like, we'll never know. Fast forward, three hours later after the trip, we get there, and the show's starting in about, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours. And uh, sure enough, I unwrapped two of them, and the, chip, and the paint chipped. So I'm like sitting on the bar, I sit up my paints, I'm painting them. And I think Ron has a picture of me painting them as they're slapping the labels on. We're all just sitting there like almost like in a conveyor belt line. I'm painting, putting some final touches on them, giving them the run, they're wrapping them, they're putting the stickers on, throwing them in the box. We couldn't let anybody in because nobody wanted, they weren't, nobody was allowed to see the painted versions and they're all spread out on the bar. And then uh, they were giving them away and everyone seemed uh, very happy with them. So now, like I mentioned before, that I see the, the Cheshews in my dreams, but now it's the soldiers are riding the Cheshews into battle in my dreams. For many of us, the sponsor gift was a surprise. It was beautifully rendered, personally painted, and captured the essence of the event and of our club in its design. I ran the Trooper Cadet and its matching box art poster up to my room to put them away before room sales. As I placed the two statues carefully next to the poster in the center of the dining table, I paused for a second. I looked around the room, at how spacious it was, at how cavernous it seemed to be, 
as the audio from a college football game bounced from wall to wall with nothing in its way to dampen it. The table was a full-sized one, dwarfing the new poster that adorned it. I glanced around the room again, this time at nothing in particular, but I was just trying to form an idea. I remember saying to myself, it's such a shame that I have all of this space and no purpose for it. Little did I know that indeed I would be using that table for what would become one of my favorite moments from the weekend. In the time between taking the event swag up to my room and returning to the main floor, the ballroom had transformed from a banquet hall to a toy and collectibles bazaar. The tables had been cleared of everything but their black fabric tablecloths to make way for the Star Wars and late 20th century memorabilia that would be scattered among them. An incredibly rare Japanese Takara wind-up R2-D2 figure counter display from 1978 sat on top of an original Dagobah playset cardboard shipping box on Pete LaRose's table. The counter display was empty except for two wind-up R2-D2s, but it is a piece that rarely, if ever, comes up for sale, since so few exist. This one was gorgeous, with the Star Wars logo forming from the lightning-shaped take on the iconic racetrack design of the Kenner packaging on the lip of the display. The header had the same racetrack-inspired logo, with a large, vibrant photo of R2-D2 standing a dome taller than the rest of it. R2 was outlined in black, and in this image, the droid had rust-colored highlights, and his usual blue details were instead black. It made this image even more striking and noticeable. Behind the counter display was a carded and graded Italian Darth Vader figure bearing the nameplate Lord Darth Fenner. Next to it sat a Lego Force Awakens shelf display and a massive molded plastic Revenge of the Sith action figure store display with Darth Vader's helmet over a splatter of three-dimensional lava bursts. Below the Dagobah shipping box was the original Star Wars Toy Galaxy display sign. Also on Pete's table were gems like Star Wars Lego proof sheets from some of the smaller sets, the 12-inch Revenge of the Sith Chewbacca hard copy in a stunning azure blue, along with vintage Kenner 12-inch action figures and a complete Sonic Landspeeder. Another friend had original Industrial Light and Magic crew shirts, from when the effects crew worked on the Star Wars trilogy. He also had a series of carded and loose Kenner figures for sale, and some employee items like a Kenner coaster celebrating the company's public stock offering, and blueprints and other archived materials. Narayan Nike brought a number of rare and desirable carded figures with him for the event. One of my personal favorites was an orange snake Applehead Yoda, nicknamed for its bright green head on an Empire Strikes Back 41D card. The 41D is likely the final card back to have that orange snake Yoda before Kenner switched to the brown snake, and the combination of that particular color head with the orange snake 
is very hard to find on a sealed card. In addition, Narayan also had two green saber carded Luke Jedi figures for sale and a Return of the Jedi Yoda, Chewbacca, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yet another friend had a beautiful hanging mobile display from Burger King's promotional tie-in for the original Star Wars-themed drinking glasses with scenes from the film. And Joe O'Neill had a still-sealed set of the four glasses from Burger King's returning promotion for the Jedi film. In fact, here is Joe to share a moment he experienced at room sales. A um, couple of my favorite stories from that weekend were during the, uh, the room sale uh-huh. So Mike Ritter comes over with uh, with Duncan Jenkins, and I don't know Duncan that well. I met him like once in, once in passing before, but he comes over with Ritter, and I had uh, a set of Burger King Return of the Jedi glasses, and they were shrink wrapped. There was you know cardboard to support the four glasses on top and bottom, and the whole thing was shrink wrapped. And uh, Duncan comes over and he's like, oh, yeah, this is a salesman sample. You don't see him that often. It's worth, you know, probably about $600. And I'm thinking, oh, that's terrific. You know, these Return of the Jedi glasses, typically they're like 10 bucks a piece, if that. Everybody's got them. So to, to know that, that they're rare and, you know, that'll help pay for the trip. <laughs> and then as, as Mike Ritter, he's standing next to him, all of a sudden he just breaks out in laughter he says, yeah, I, I put Duncan up to it to come over and tell you that they were rare and expensive. <laughs> He's like, it might be worth 50 bucks or so, but not 600 So thanks for that, Ritter. Love you, buddy. Anytime Duncan Jenkins participates in a room sales event is always a treat. He sold many two-dimensional pieces like promotional posters and advertisements, as well as a selection of books, comics, and publications from many different countries. Duncan's selection covered the original trilogy of films, as well as the Droids and Ewoks animated series from 1985. But perhaps the biggest treasure in Duncan's offering was the book he co-wrote with his friend and fellow collector, Gus Lopez. Titled Gus and Duncan's Guide to Star Wars Prototypes, it is a must-own resource for any Star Wars collector, covering the pre-production process of a toy by highlighting examples from Kenner's entire Star Wars action figure run. Chris Riley's table can be summed up with two words, boxed items. His offering was unique in that it focused on the vehicles and playsets from The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Jabba, the Rancor, the B-Wing, and Y-Wing fighters, Darth Vader's Star Destroyer, the Scout Walker, a TIE fighter and a snowspeeder were some of the items he had for sale. One lucky shopper walked away with an early run of more than 20 carded G.I. Joe figures. Others bought vintage Star Wars puzzles, records, coloring books, ephemera like frisbees, notebooks, and anything else licensed by Lucasfilm from an era long past. The room sales event went on for about two hours, as people walked from table to table, conversing while buying things for their collections, I ate. By 10 o'clock, I was so hungry. The buffet-style dinner had been dismantled hours ago, but boxes of vanilla cake with chocolate icing still remained. In the course of an hour, I had somewhere between four and six oversized slices, running back to the table to grab another one as soon as I had cleared my plate. 
One of my friends asked me to watch his table for a few minutes, so I picked up two slices and devoured them as people asked me about the items on his table. In between mouthfuls, I explained that they did not belong to me and that I was just keeping an eye on his stuff. Once he returned, I grabbed my plate and walked around the room. It was fun to watch my friends talk collecting with one another. I'd pull up to a table, find a place to rest my chocolate cake, and would join in the conversation when appropriate. I don't eat dessert. My taste buds lean more towards savory dishes than sweet ones. But when it's time for second dinner and all you have is vanilla cake slathered in chocolate icing, you make it a meal. And I certainly did. During the entirety of the room sales, the room bustled with an energy different from the event that came right before it. Not better or worse, more like another solid course of a delicious and impeccably prepared meal. Whereas most people had parked themselves at particular tables for dinner or moved up to the front of the room for the panels, by the time the room sales began, attendees wandered around more. Bees floating from flower to flower, conversing, hunting, buying and selling. This opened the room to more interactions, to more people getting to know one another. Because again, the through line is Star Wars. Even though we focus on different aspects of the hobby or prefer certain films and stories to others, Star Wars becomes that unifier. It opens pathways to conversations, ones that begin with the toys and allow us to dive deeper into the personalities and lives of the people around us that share the same interest. It's fun to watch friendships form around you, to see the people you know talking to other people you know, engaging in a simple conversation that builds in front of your eyes, to see it develop into something of substance with a shared laughter or the fiery burst of excitement around a connection. And the best feeling is to watch a sudden bond materialize in front of you and to walk away for a short time only to find the conversation is still going on when you return. They are not the moments we generally remember. They happen so naturally that oftentimes we are not aware of what is happening until months or years later when we try to retrace the trails forged by these friendships. And we ask ourselves, how did this friendship begin? And for many of us, the answer will simply be at the annual. Around midnight, the room sales concluded. As those who had brought items to sell packed up their wares, others returned to their rooms to drop off the items they had purchased. Some of the Empire State Club members tidied up the ballroom, rearranging the chairs around the tables and removing the remaining desserts and trash. After cleaning up and getting settled, a third of the attendees walked across the parking lot together and into the diner for a late-night meal. This is always one of my favorite parts of any collector's event. And the fact that we didn't have to drive to find a restaurant that would accommodate all of us 
and that it was literally within a few yards of the hotel made it a perfect landing spot for all of us. After informing the server of the size of our party, we grabbed a few nearby tables and pulled them together, forming a large rectangular row that stretched the length of the dining room. As more attendees filed in, a few collectors would jump out of their seats and pull surrounding empty tables to extend our makeshift massive arrangement. I found myself at the head of the table closest to the entrance. Ed Nagy held court at the other end. Joe O'Neill was to my left, and Tyler Fedigan was to my right. Brian and Sandra Emery joined us, as well as Mike Ritter, Eric Janicki, Jonathan McElwain, Matt Fox, Chris and Steph Riley, Lee Harris, Narayan Nike, Chris Jorgulius, and Tom Derby. When we ran out of places to fit more tables, the latecomers started filling seats at an adjacent one. Let's be grown ups trying to split a check. 17 ways are no. Thinking the same thing, just like. The diner hummed with noise and laughter. Waiters and waitresses rushed back and forth with trays of food. Condiments were passed from one side of the table to another, and those who had received the wrong meal traded plates. Drunken and sober conversations mixed together joyfully, forming a halo around our table. Chris G. and Tom discussed imperfections in cardbacks and how to detect fakes on a microscopic level as the rest of us listened with rapt attention. After the mathematical gymnastics of paying a single bill as a group, we headed back to the hotel. The weather was warm enough for us to sit outside around the patio tables and talk, while a handful of collectors smoked their last cigarette of the evening. The night felt easy and calm as we were basking in the glow of what had been a successful and thoroughly enjoyable event. The day was a long one, with many of us up before the sun that morning to head out to the flea market. But it was worth the inevitable exhaustion. I think we all knew how special the annual would be and was, and wanted to savor every moment possible. Ed Nagy and Mike Ritter continued the Empire State Club tradition they started a few years back. They created a patch set bearing the logo, The Midnight Crew, on it. And they created cards to go along with them. The patch came in three colors, silver, gold, and black. First-time attendees to a club who stayed at an event until midnight received the silver patch and a card. And every time they attended an event and stayed until midnight, Ed or Mike would initial the card. After the card was signed by Mike and Ed a certain amount of times, an attendee would receive a gold patch. And they would level up over time, eventually earning a black patch. It was a brilliant idea. After all, collectors collect. It's what we do. And I think it pushed club members to stay a little longer at each event which helped to make them a little more special and a little more memorable. And there's nothing like getting to the end of the night and celebrating the achievement of being part of the Midnight Crew. By the time I returned to the brisk air conditioning and warm lighting of the hotel lobby, it was almost 2 o'clock in the morning. I had been awake for almost 24 hours, but it was so very worth it. My head was still pulsing from the day. The excitement was finally settling into exhaustion, and the white sheets and pillows of my hotel bed looked like the perfect cloud to rest upon until the next day. I changed into my pajamas, got ready for bed, 
cleaned up my room a little bit, thanked the Lord for a wonderful day, and passed out only minutes after turning off the light. Saturday faded slowly from existence and immediately settled into becoming one of the best days of my journey as a collector. Sunday, September 1st, a new month and a new day at the annual. That morning, Ron Salvatore opened his home to us. He invited all attendees to tour his storied collection, which focused on items from the first decade of Star Wars. Like many of us, Ron has carded examples of the Kenner figures and owns many of the box vehicles and playsets. But what sets his collection apart and really propels it into the upper echelon of vintage-focused collections are his curated assortment of rare store displays and pre-production pieces. I had been really excited to see Ron's collection again. In the years leading up to the first trip to his home, and before he and I became friends, I had learned about some of the pieces in his collection through the Star Wars Collector's Archive website. As I poured over each entry on the archive, I couldn't believe these one-of-a-kind and historic prototypes had survived. And to know they resided in someone's collection fascinated me. The first time I saw his collection was during an Empire Club meetup at his home in 2017. After a fellow collector brought me into his collection room, I stood in front of his cabinets and made a fool out of myself, shouting my sheer unbelief at what stood before me, for a number of minutes. I thought I had prepared myself for what I was going to see. But when it's all in the same room and you're inches away from each meaningful and spectacular collectible, each monumental mile marker in the history of Kenner's Star Wars line, your eyes widen, your jaw drops, and you realize there's no way to ever be prepared for something like that. The next time I had visited Ron's collection was a year later, during the 2018 ICE event in New York. My knowledge of prototypes and of Star Wars items had grown substantially over the course of that year, and I returned to that collection room with a fuller appreciation of what was on display. And for the 2019 annual, Ron had updated his collection room with new display cases and had added museum-styled placards around many of the pieces. These placards explained each prototype and pre-production piece to give both collectors and non-collectors a better understanding of why it was in a particular display case. Ron had arranged the pieces by year of their release, which helped to tell the story of both Star Wars and the Kenner toys. And while my understanding of the pre-production process had expanded further since my previous visit, What really excited me was to see the reactions of my fellow collectors, those who had been in the hobby much longer than I, and who had storied collections of their own. And the reactions did not disappoint. At times, the silence was almost reverent, as those around me stopped and stared in wonder. Some walked from cabinet to cabinet together, discussing the items in front of them in whispered detail. 
Others toured Ron's collection by themselves, digesting each detail and design as a humbled, wow, would inadvertently slip from their lips. We had traveled in smaller groups to his house at staggered times, so as not to overwhelm him. After all, having that many people tour your collection in a single day can be challenging. But it speaks volumes about Ron. His kindness to invite us into his home and to make what had been an already exciting weekend that much more special was a blessing for all of us. Seeing his collection on Sunday added another collecting highlight to the itinerary. Those who weren't currently exploring his collection gathered in his living room and around his kitchen, hanging out and spending time together. So we are here, it is Sunday morning, and uh, we're here with Trent and Corey Bailey, uh, brother and sister turned lovers, and, uh, and the inimitable Brian Angel, and we're here at, at Ron's house uh, for what I guess is Roncon two and a half, but uh, anyway, we were talking about uh, a bunch of stuff, um, I guess modern, modern prototypes, and, and, uh, and Brian has a fantastic story. So yeah, what started the conversation is that tomorrow we're all going to visit the at attic at Yehuda Kay's house, and so um, one of my favorite pieces there is the piece that I'll talk about here. But I have to start in 1978, 79, as a child, playing with the original Star Wars toys, because as many kids in those age, the best playset, or kind of like the only playset at one point, um, was uh, the Death Star playset. I mean, there was, you know, the droid factory and all that, but I'm talking something that was massive, something. So the Death Star playset was pretty much where all of my playtime centered around. So for years and years, it was like stormtroopers had to play Han and Luke in those adventures because there was no Luke stormtrooper, there was no Han stormtrooper. So then let's just fast forward to the 80s now. We're, we're toward, 84, 85. Yeah, yeah. Well, and maybe even past that because I'm one of those people that just, in my mind, I never stopped collecting Star Wars. I just, and so in that time I was working at the mall. Um, I was, so this might have been more like 88, um, but I was working at Wet Seal, first male employee ever of Wet Seal, by the way. I talked the manager into talking to corporate, and what a sweet high school job with all the hot girls, but I digress. Anyway, so I'm working at Wet Seal. You are a golden god. Thank you. I'm working at Wet Seal in the mall, but five doors down is KB Toys. So I'm plugging in holes in my Power of the Force collection, and um, you know that's when everything's marked down and you got to look through stuff but here's the thing I guess I was too young to care or put two and two together I didn't really realize that the line had ended I was just looking for new Star Wars figures so when that happened and there was a Luke Stormtrooper I was like they're doing it this is they're doing it this is it and I kept going back looking. Because if they're doing one... Yeah, if they're doing Luke Stormtrooper, obviously they're going to do Hand Stormtrooper as well. Why would you just do one? Are you crazy? So, clearly, they did not come out with the Hand Stormtrooper. My heart was broken. My entire childhood was incomplete. And so, just this hole. I had a hole in me. And, um... Stop. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so then one day as an older child adult child 
I discovered in a cereal box this promotion for this hand solo in Stormtrooper outfit. And this was the time when it was a renaissance of Star Wars, special editions and new toy lines, and then new movies came soon thereafter, and the internet was popping. But for some reason, it closed a book for me personally on that original line. That just that having that him Stormtrooper made life complete. And so going to the At Addict, knowing that uh, Yehuda has the hard copy of that Stormtrooper, I have a lot to look forward to. And it's not to. just a hard copy, though. It is a hand-painted hard copy. Hand-painted hard copy. I'm sure there's more amazing items surrounding it because he's got a cereal box that's tied to that and some other stuff. But, you know, when you're at a collection of that level or Ron's level, it's too much to take in at once and so hopefully when I go there this time I'll put some more images in, burned into my brain and uh, have some more knowledge to share with you that I'll forget next time please do please do not forget but please share with us I'll try I'm getting old after visiting Ron's collection Corey Trent and I went back to Pete's house to relax before the boat cruise Corey and I were hungry and wanted to eat so we jumped in my car and drove down the road to a local diner. One of the things that made the annual special is that the attendees mainly stayed together for the entire weekend. During a trip like the Cincinnati Toy Show weekend, we generally meet up for the toy show and for events like the room sales. But by and large, collectors move in small groups and in various directions. But the annual structure required us to move as a full unit, Up to that point, we had spent Friday night in the ballroom together, then traveled to the diner. Saturday afforded us a little space to do smaller activities, like hunting at the Stormville Flea Market or taking time out for a breakfast or lunch with some friends. But the rest of the day was spent in the company of one another in the ballroom, with about a third of us heading to the diner for a midnight meal. Going to lunch with Corey on Sunday was a nice break away from the event. It gave me the opportunity to catch up with her, to hear about how life was going for her, and to share some of the events of that summer from my life. Tucked away in a booth, it became a nice quiet intermission from what had been an eventful and exciting weekend thus far. As we ate our late lunch, we talked for an hour or so. As collectors, moments discussing the hobby we love is so important. But these smaller moments are just as special because they help to build relationships. And the annual provided a perfect blend of these types of moments with the larger group ones. I truly felt like I had time to catch up with so many people on this trip. Whether it was a one-on-one conversation, or one shared by a smaller, more intimate nucleus of collectors. Meals are always a wonderful catalyst for building friendships, because we all have to take a break and eat at some point. And if we're sitting at a table for an hour or so, being in the company of another collector or friend transforms that meal from a mandatory function to something memorable. After lunch, we didn't have much time before the boat cruise. Corey and I headed back to Pete's, and the four of us drove over to the docking location of the Pride of the Hudson.
The Pride of the Hudson Boat Cruise is a tour through the majestic Hudson Highlands. The two-hour cruise began at the Blue Point Landing in Newburgh, New York, and traveled south through the Hudson Valley's historic district via the Hudson River. The Pride of the Hudson is a two-level boat with an interior dining room and an open-air sun deck. Traveling down the Hudson, some of the notable landmarks were Washington's headquarters, used during the Revolutionary War, Bannerman Island, with a warehouse built to resemble a Scottish castle, the World's End, which is the deepest part of the Hudson, Constitution Island, and the United States Military Academy at West Point. We were not served food during our cruise. Our group would walk to a nearby waterfront restaurant once we returned to the dock. But the boat had a cash bar for anyone who wanted to have a drink or two while sailing. A year before the annual, we had taken the same boat trip for the New York Ice event, part of which was held in the same area. And while I remembered that experience being a cooler evening on the water, the temperature and casual dress code made wearing shorts and short sleeves acceptable. Sunglasses were a must, as the sun hummed sharply that afternoon. Standing on the walkway along the shore, we waited for the pride of the Hudson to pull up to the dock. One of the best parts about a collector's weekend like the annual was that we attended every event as a group. We were experiencing this weekend together, and that Sunday, we'd be touring the Hudson and then dining at the same restaurant while eating in the same room. We walked in a large, dense line onto a rectangular wooden deck that jutted out over the water and across a narrow metal bridge that connected to the platform leading to the entrance of the ship. As we filed into the ship, some people stayed inside and sat around the many tables with beautiful windowed views. Others headed toward the bar to grab an early drink. Yet many stepped through some of the side doors that led to the upstairs deck. It wasn't long before we had our first titanic moment of the cruise. I don't think there's been a time in the past 20 years where someone boarded a boat and didn't recreate the iconic scene from that film. Matthias Rendal, author of the essential collecting books A New Proof and The Chromalin Strikes Back, stood up against the railing leading out to the bow and put his arms out like Kate Winslet's character Rose. Pete LaRose stood behind him, wrapping his arms around him like Leonardo DiCaprio's Jack, as a black pirate flag waved in front of them. They looked out to the sky, smiling like two proud idiots. It was majestic, ridiculous, and wonderful, and virtually everyone in view stopped to capture it on their phones. For like an hour no, no, hold on. Right, Look forward, look forward. The afternoon on the water was one of those perfect moments you forget to pray for, but are so thankful to have. It could have been too cold to enjoy it, too rainy to be on the deck, or too windy to be comfortable. Instead, all of the elements of a beautiful day aligned to give us hours of a peaceful, conversation-drenched ride down the Hudson and back. Here's Joe O'Neill to share a particularly sweet memory that highlights the magic of the moment. Uh, another great memory was uh, during the cruise. And, uh, you know, everybody's walking around, hanging out, mingling. And at one point, I bump into Sean Moynihan, 
And we just start chatting for a second. And we kind of look over the side of the boat, and it's just this beautiful view, Hudson River. And we start singing the Gilligan's Island theme song. And uh, that was just a ton of fun. So it was just a small little moment. And uh, it was just things like that that uh, really made the trip memorable. Uh, And I'm looking forward to the annual this year. All right, see everybody there. I wandered throughout the boat during the event, trying to connect and to speak with as many collectors as possible. Tom Quinn, Jason Thomas, Tyler and Jacqueline Fedigan, Lauren Starkiller, and a few others concocted a ridiculous prank where I was their target. They knew of my obsession with modern prototypes, and they tried to convince me that someone on the boat, whose name they couldn't recall, approached them and sold them some key prototypes for really cheap prices. Tom told me he was able to pick up a Power of the Force 2 Boba Fett prototype that was part of a two-pack. And the rest of the group, in on the joke, made it seem like the seller had been so persuasive and offered the items at such great prices that they all decided to buy some. And I, lover of modern prototypes, had missed out on this random but life-changing event. It was a harmless prank, A joke whose pieces and parts were of sheer absurdity. And the prototypes they mentioned were ones that were incredibly desirable. And after seeing my eyes widen, my mouth drop, and the puzzlement from calculating the effects of missing out on that moment and trying to follow the wobbly story they told me from their different perspectives, they finally let me off the hook and revealed it was all a lie. We laughed about it together then, and I still laugh about it to this day. I returned to the ship's bow and sat down next to Justin Haney. He and I had become friends over the past year, but the annual gave us moments to connect one-on-one and to really get to know one another. I had admired his collection through images he shared online, as he had an outstanding array of Emperor and Han and Leia prototypes and production items spanning the vintage and modern lines but I really admired how connected and how connective he was within the community and what he had done to build the Georgia Alliance of Star Wars Collectors. The podcast panel I did that opened the annual the day before, the one that explained and celebrated the history of the Empire State Club, resonated with him deeply. He and I spoke at length about it and about our two clubs, and I could see the effects of the panel already turning the gears in his mind. It sparked something in him, and from his comments, I felt like the scope of what he envisioned the Georgia Club could become was expanding. It was exciting, because it was fueled by imagination, by passion, and by the wild hope that had brought all of us together. It was a heartfelt conversation, and one that remained with me. We started it as friends, and by the time we finished speaking, I felt we were brothers, whose aim was to take the connective tissue that had formed that weekend in that ballroom and on that boat and to replicate it and weave it through our respective clubs. And from that day on, many of the Empire State members became Georgia Alliance members, and many from the Georgia Alliance became part of the Empire State. And three years later, that brother and sisterhood is still going strong and has grown closer with each month. And the impetus for all of it occurred during those Saturday and Sunday events at the annual. At some point toward the end of the cruise, 
I went downstairs and back inside the boat. It was quiet, and there was no one else around. I realized that everyone was upstairs, laughing and hanging out together, and that thought just touched my heart. And honestly, in that moment, I thought of you. You who might be listening to this at home, or on your way to work, or in your car, and is yearning for a group and an adventure like this. You who were on that boat, who shared a drink or a laugh with the rest of us on the closest thing to a class trip that we've experienced in years, if not decades. And you, who brought me on this boat, invited me into your group, and welcomed me with open arms. So, I don't even know, it's about five o'clock and I'm on the boat cruise. Uh, we took a boat cruise around the Hudson. Uh, I've probably explained that already, but um, I just, uh, I haven't really done a lot of live recording since I've been here, and I, I think that's okay. It's, it's, always, it's always kind of a, a thing of trying to balance between, you know, staying in the moment and enjoying stuff and then, you know, getting stuff on, on record. And, uh, and there are times, you know, where there are down times where you can, you know, sit down and talk to somebody, but a lot of those conversations have just been just hanging out. Uh, so I, I really haven't gotten a chance to... to quote-unquote interview people or to talk to people like that but uh i just so on the boat cruise and I, I just wanted to capture something for a half a second um just to talk about how nice this this trip has been um this is man this is one of those special times and and i can say like if if you're if you're at all interested in joining a club or just being a part of something, you know, where you get to hunt for toys, you get to hang out, you get to spend time with wonderful people, uh, you get to learn about things like like Star Wars toys and collectibles and and, uh, and why people collect what they collect and, and why they love what they love. I would say just take a step out, you know, just go onto Facebook, uh, go look, you know, Google Google local Star Wars clubs or you know whatever your state is, wherever your area is. And, uh, and just just try to reach out to someone, or, or just you know, if you if you know of a, a meetup, just just go. Uh, I promise you, it'll be one of the best things that you've ever done. Uh, people here are just wonderful; they, they truly are, and they make life uh, really really crazy and special. So anyway, I just wanted to capture that as I'm looking at the Hudson and just man, just having the best time, best weekend. Anyway, uh, and to anyone who's listening to this, uh, who, who took the trip along, and, and even if you didn't take the trip, I, I love you. I just want you to know that. And I'm so thankful for, for, for all of you, for just, just, just being my friend and just hanging out and, uh, and making life special. We disembarked at 6.30 that evening. Many of us stood on the deck, with some glancing back at the river's path from which we came, while others looked ahead to the shore that awaited us. The sun began the final arc of its slow descent, and while the warmth of the summer weather was still evident, subtle breezes started to cool the air around us. The pride of the Hudson pulled into its space along the dock. After a few minutes, the boat was anchored and situated, and the door opened to the ramp leading back to land. We talked to one another as we walked down the ramp and back onto the sidewalk that outlined the shore. The area around us was bustling with activity. Visitors strolled by, talking and laughing. Children ran in front of their parents. Some families stopped to watch our slow parade of excited and hungry collectors amble up the hill and toward our next destination, the River Grill. The River Grill is a shoreline restaurant that was established in 2000 
and features a variety of American cuisine. It is known for its steaks, seafood, and pastas, and was voted Best Riverview Dining by Hudson Valley Magazine. And that Sunday evening, 80 collectors piled into the restaurant's main dining area for a buffet dinner. We spread ourselves across six or seven long rectangular tables, which were topped with white tablecloths, with red ones peeking out from underneath. And our group filled every available seat in the restaurant. The conversations that began on the boat followed us into the restaurant and continued through dinner and dessert. While we ate, Ron announced we would be receiving another memento to mark the day. He held up a poster the club had created. At the top were the words, The Annual, in bold, fiery letters, with the yellow glow of a sunset showing through at the bottom of each letter. In the lower third of the poster, the club's name appeared in a beige script, and it read, ESSWCC in the Hudson Valley with the rest of the words in a light blue. The center of the poster displayed an image of the Bear Mountain Bridge standing tall over the Hudson River, surrounded by the green hilltops of the valley. And in the foreground, three X-Wing fighters soared across the image. It was a playful and perfect depiction of the collector's weekend. By nine o'clock, as we scraped the final remnants of our desserts from our plates, the sun had fully set. The conversations around the table had been lively, but relaxing, and was a perfect way to wind down after an eventful day. I know I've shared this story before, but it was one that has stayed with me all these years later. As we sat and talked in the lull between dinner and dessert, Tom Quinn, sitting at the end of our table, smiled with a true joy and said to us, I'd like to buy all of my friends a drink. He pulled out his phone and went around the table, jotting down the order as each friend named their choice of beverage. As he did this, I watched him and learned a long-lasting lesson about friendship. Tom didn't do it for show or for anything else. In that moment, he wanted to do something simple and kind for his friends. What brought him joy was doing something for others, to make their experience a little better a little more memorable. He was simply redirecting the love that he had felt in that moment, on that day and over that weekend, back toward those who had shared their joy with him. Our friends teach us valuable life lessons through their kindness. And that simple gesture by Tom has remained in the forefront of my mind, and I have tried to emulate it in the years since that Sunday evening. And that's what kindness does. It stirs something in your soul that makes you want to keep that light glowing. And the way to do that is to light the candles your friends hold. Kindness will always come back around to you, especially in this group. And it's nice to be part of that constantly glowing chain. After dinner, we returned to the hotel for our first completely open and unscheduled time frame since the start of the annual. I dropped off the poster we had received at the restaurant and headed back down to the lobby to see what everyone else was planning to do for the rest of the evening. 
An open room across from the front desk housed a large group of collectors. The room was empty except for a few tables and the chairs my friends scattered across it. As more and more people entered the room, they arranged the chairs in a circle in which we all faced the center so we could see one another. One by one, they shared humorous stories from collector events and meetups from years past. For many of us, it was nice to hear about the times we missed, ones that occurred before we started collecting or became part of the community. And after the fellowship of our dinner on the dock, it was nice to fall into a moment that happened organically. There was no plan at this point, and it reminded me of a family get-together in which we'd all return to the table for coffee and conversation after a hearty meal. At one point, Aaron Longbine and Sky Payne reminisced about the early Star Wars celebration conventions. Here's Aaron sharing the time he met the one and only Luke Skywalker. Doogie one time, and that's yeah. Derek Hall was like, dude, he's like, you just, Angry Doogie, just, you just transformed. It was Psycho Doogie. Psycho Doogie? I thought it was Angry Doogie. Angry Doogie? Psycho Doogie has a better, like, yeah. feel to it. That sounds scary, though. Yeah. Like, Psycho Doogie. That sounds kind of like, like people would be afraid of me. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so I have to tell the Mark Hamill story? You have to tell the Mark Hamill story. Yeah. Uh, it's better every time I hear it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you probably you hear it. More details. Like, really? I did? You hear it three or four times. All right, so we're at C5. Mark Hamill was there. And I had bought an autograph ticket for him. And they weren't set up by days back then. You could go any day of the convention. Saturday, there was a huge line. And I said, I'm not waiting in that line, which that could have been an angry doogie moment too. But So anyways, I decided to go Sunday. So we're all sitting at one of those big round tables in the cafeteria. It was uh, myself, Sky, Derek, Brock, and Steve. So I said, there's no line. I'm going to go get in line. Sky goes, I'll wait in line with you. I go, cool, sweet. So we get up to the thing. There was like, what, maybe 10, 10, 15 people? I mean, it was the shortest line ever, the entire convention. It was like a 10, 15-minute wait. I get, up to the, I get up to the table. I'm super excited. I had bought the 8x10. I'm going to get it signed. And Sky's like, dude, this is awesome. Like, you're finally going to meet Luke Skywalker. I'm like, I know this is great. And so it's getting worked up, and I'm all excited. I get to the front desk, and... He's, like, super cool, you know, because there was no line. He's happy to talk to you. There was maybe one or two people behind us, which is bizarre when you think about now. Like, what will wait now? It'll be, like, hours. You know, I could just hang out. I was just hanging out yeah, with you, like, 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 oh, there's Mark Hamill, whatever, you know. They didn't try to stop me yeah, or anything. Yeah, you couldn't get in line normally now, probably, just to hang no, out with me. No. So I'm standing there, and we're, all of a sudden he says, uh, yeah, I'll sign this for you. Who do you want it to? And I normally don't get anything personalized just because and I'm like you can make that out to Aaron that would be great and I'm super excited right now because now I'm not meeting Mark Hamill I'm meeting Luke Skywalker so he starts saying uh where are you from I go oh I'm I'm from Buffalo he goes oh I've been there before I go oh that's awesome he's like yeah yeah he's like we have he's like I was there you guys got really good chicken wings and all this I go yeah yeah wings are great and I remember just kind of looking over at Sky, and he had this evil grin on his face, and he's like... It was more like this, like, yeah, yeah, 
your, your wings are great. Like, the whole time, he's just like, can you say to Aaron? I just, you know, it's like the opposite of Psycho Doogie. It's like Psych yeah, Doogie. Right, right. It's more exciting. It was Happy Doogie. I was like, yes, your wings are good. We have the best wings ever. Yeah, you're playing it cool here, but it was not. There was a audience, too, man. Mine, right? Mine, this shit could go. I just remember looking over, and he had this look on his face. He's like, uh, it's coming, right? And he's like, hey. So I've been to Buffalo. Mark Hamill goes, well, I've been to Buffalo before. I'm like, oh, it's nice there, isn't it? He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, you guys get a lot of snow. And I'm like, oh, we get a lot of snow. He's like, it was really cold when I was there. And I just looked at him. I go, yeah, just like we used to live on Hoff. <laughs> and as soon as I said it, I stopped. And I'm like, I, I did it. And he looked back at me after he signed the thing. He was like, oh, boy. He just looked at his face. He's like, yeah, we just met Superfan. He goes to slide the thing back. I go to look at Sky because now, like, uh, uh, I'm despondent. I, what did I say? Here's Sky. Ooh, we did it. So we go walking back to the table. And I have my thing. Mark Hamill's not my friend anymore. We were friends. We made this connection. You know, we, we yeah. ate chicken wings. It was cold. Yeah. We lived on Hoth at the same time, apparently. <laughs> I'm going back. I have the, 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 the card, and my head's down, and sky's grinning ear to ear, right? So I go, we go back to the table. Like, oh, you got your thing autographed. How was it? I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's not even fun anymore to meet Luke Skywalker. <laughs> like, it was, it, was, it, was the, it was the funniest thing ever. So we had to tell the story at the table. And I'm like, yeah, just like when you used to live on Hoth. This guy goes, he never even lived on Hoth. He just worked there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then we've told the story just about two to three times a year, every year since then. And sometimes there's a lot more detail, uh, sometimes there's less detail. So I think every time we get together, we need to hear the story again and see, <laughs> see where it goes. Yeah. As the collector stories continued, I excused myself and headed out through the closed doors, back into the lobby and outside, toward the patio tables, where a number of attendees sat. Some were in the middle of a slowly shrinking cigarette. Others curled up against the chairs as the night air turned and began to flash the chill that arrives on the back of autumn. I stood by one of the tables, just taking in the conversation around me. I was completely relaxed and was enjoying the sounds of my friends' distinct voices, as well as the laughter that floated across the table. Chris and Steph Riley sat at one table, with Brian and Sandra Emery, Mike Ritter, Chris Vargas, and a number of other Empire State Club members. The glow of Ed Nagy's cigarette added definition to his face, as it was partially obscured by the darkness, depending on where he stood. It seemed to be getting colder, and while I was still comfortable in shorts, I ran up to my room to grab a sweatshirt. Back in my oversized room, I looked at the dining room table in the foyer and said to myself, it really is a shame this table went unused for the trip. I had never had a table this large in a hotel room before, and the size of this portion of the room seemed to be perfect to host some kind of hangout or small party. And then an idea hit me. It's almost impossible to get all of us together in one place. It happens a few times a year, 
and even then, it's a blessing to be in the same hotel as our friends. Why not use the opportunity to sit down with some of them and record a podcast together? After all, I had the table, I had the space, and we all had a free evening. I threw my sweatshirt over my head and ran downstairs. Walking through the lobby, I noticed a few more friends had gathered by one of the patio tables closest to the entrance. Justin and Jen Haney, Trent and Corey Bailey, Matt George and Brian Angel were in the middle of a conversation. I looked at them through the window, each one of them dear to me, and I thought I would at least ask them if they would join me for a quick podcast episode. They looked at one another, shrugged, smiled, and said yes. I told them I'd meet them in the lobby in 15 minutes, and we'd head up to my room. My original idea was to take the next hour or so and to bring up a few groups of collectors, one group at a time, to record short conversations, lasting about 20 minutes each. I didn't want to impede on anyone's time, keeping them away from other attendees hanging out in the lobby. I didn't want them to miss anything, so I figured 20 minutes would be long enough for a fun conversation about their experiences at the annual. And if I recorded a few conversations, it would make for a nice memory and would serve as a podcast episode to give others who weren't able to attend a better idea of what the weekend was like. After tidying up my room and getting the area ready for recording, I took the elevator back down to meet Matt, Brian, and the rest of the group in the lobby. I had never done anything like this before and was really excited by its potential. I had wanted to capture a piece of what had been one of the best weekends, if not the best weekend, I had experienced as a collector. And I wanted to do so with those who share the same passion for collecting and the meetups. Little did I know at the time, it would be the only conversation I would record that night. That the idea for a 20-minute collector's conversation would turn into an epic evening, one that still resonates three years later. Stay tuned for a look at the Collector's Roundtable Discussion, live from the legendary weekend of the 2019 Annual from Fishkill, New York. And there are a few more surprises ahead for the annual episodes. I hope you're enjoying a deep dive into this unforgettable Collector's event. Thank you for listening to another episode of Star Wars Prototypes and Production.